Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So that is a self-portrait of me in terms of trying to think about what we have to do in terms of our spiritual uh, walk. In this case, it's a spiritual run. But let's go ahead and continue if we can now. And what I want to open with... And guys, if you can put the first one on, I guess this thing, here we go. New year, new time for everything. There we go. Thank you. Let's start with verses uh, 1 and 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that also so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, this is the entire passage, and a couple things I want to point out, which I thought was interesting. The two lines that I have highlighted in green, those are commands. Those aren't options. And I love this book of Hebrews because it is, again, to Jewish believers, but the Jewish believers were having a problem. The pressure of the world they were in and their conversion to Christ, it was tough. And so as a result, they found themselves migrating back to their old world. And that was really kind of what I find myself doing too, right? If the pressure builds in my world, I start to acquiesce in some areas and I find myself having to really think through how can I stay on course and how can I stay on point? And that's what we're going to find here today in this particular passage as we go through. So for 2022, I want to share with you how to run the race of faith. You know, what kind of race do believers run? Who sets the parameters? It's a race that we define and purpose for ourselves. But the purpose of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is to encourage believers to continue moving forward in your Christian life, looking to Jesus as the example and not to become discouraged and abandon the faith. And I believe the writer is calling readers to run the race of the Christian life, and he does so, but he also explains why and how we should run. So why run a race? Because I think we have examples of Old Testament believers. See, we're not on this journey alone. We have a great multitude of witnesses who have gone before us upon whose shoulders that we can stand. Christ can be trusted. We can have a thriving faith in him regardless of what we have been through or will face because others have trusted Christ, so can we. So the first admonition is to run with the witnesses. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're in good company. We're not alone. The witnesses or the believers of the race are listed in the previous chapter in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And that's kind of the, the hall of faith, so to speak. Not so much a hall of fame, but a hall of faith. This is to encourage us as we learn about these Old Testament saints who finished the race by faith. Person after person, faithful men and women running the race set before them, and they finished well. The steadfastness of these Old Testament witnesses speak to believers today of the rewards of staying in the race, of never giving up. And this race is not a sprint, it's a marathon. 
A marathon is that strenuous test of fitness and endurance, and the race set before us requires faith and stamina, commitment and discipline in order to live faithfully. You know, I look back at these people in Hebrews chapter 11. These were not super believers in that they never sinned, but they were faithful believers who chose to have faith in God even when it wasn't easy. These witnesses had no smartphones. They had no pocket Torahs, no Bible of any sort. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, as Christians do, as a seal of our inheritance in Christ. The Holy Spirit would come upon them but they didn't have the Holy Spirit residing within them. They did not have anything like the technologies we have, but boy, they endured. They ran the race and they finished. And how did they finish? It was done by faith. And we get to finish the same way. Their lives, their stories, their faithfulness revives our souls and our weary hearts. But here's the point of what happens here in Hebrews 12 and 11. They made it which means that we can also, as followers of Christ, make it as well. These saints are our encouragement of running the race of faith. I found this interesting. One commentator said, they knew how to run the race of faith. They opposed Pharaoh. They forsook the pleasures and prerogatives of his court. They passed through the Red Sea. They shattered down the walls of Jericho. They conquered kingdoms. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They received back their dead by resurrection. They were tortured, mocked, scourged, imprisoned in stone, sawn in two, and had to dress in animal skins and were made destitute, all for the sake of their faith. Now the writer says, you should run like they did. It can be done. If you run as they did in faith, they ran and ran and ran, and they had less light to run by than we have. Yet they were all victorious, every one of them. Amen. So run that you may obtain the prize, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get the crown that will not last, but we do it to get the crown that will last forever. Do you get that? We don't run to win. We run to complete, to finish. And that's what God's asking us to do in our faith walk. Matter of fact, I want to show you a video real quick, and this is one from ABC Sports. Let's see if you all remember this from, from way back when. Go ahead and roll. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This has been ABC's Wide World of Sports. Yeah, we have a human drama of spiritual competition, don't we? I feel for that man that came down on that, uh, that ski thing. I, they, they interviewed him afterwards. He did make it. He didn't die. I thought as a kid that poor boy died. I thought he, but he didn't. He made it through. But you know what? The idea is, is that we are competing, but our competition's different, right? When we run, if somebody falls, we don't go, now I got the race made. We stop and pick them up. That's what the Christian faith does. We have different kinds of rules when we compete for the crown that is promised to us. And what we find in Hebrews 12 is this race of faith, again, is not competition. It's not to beat everybody else. 
Again, we want to make sure that we complete God's plan, not compete for it. It's not winning, it's rather finishing. And we will find that this race was an agonizing, grueling ordeal. And winning requires self-discipline, stamina, strategy, and patient endurance. That's why the scripture says in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And that phrase that is used throughout Hebrews challenges readers to apply those truths that they learned. Remember, the Jewish believers were having difficulty as persecution was coming upon them. But Jesus reminded us, right, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So, how do we run this race? Well, first of all, we have to run the race by throwing off everything that hinders us. Think about that, everything that hinders us. The word weight means bulk or mass. As you can see, I carry that quite well. But if you could refer to excess body weight, heavy, bulky garments, or anything that binds a runner's body, thus encumbering him. So if someone's a runner, for the most part, like we saw in the beginning of that video, runners don't wear Nanook of the North parkas to run. You want to strip down to be as lightweight as possible. And we have to make those decisions in our spiritual world as well. An encumbrance or entanglement is not necessarily a sin, but in a race, it slows the athlete down. Runners run light. They don't add weight when running. They reduce weight because the extra weight, again, is both bulky and bothersome. And this means from a spiritual standpoint, we have to have some self-examination to make sure that we eliminate those things that will burden us in our walk. And that's an important part of that. Some of these things might be good things, but they may not be best things. But if they impede you from finishing the race or being a participant to complete it, we have to eliminate them. So we have to ask the question to each of us individually, what are those things in life that are weighing us down? The things that slow you down or overburden you. And next he says, though, then throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Every time I read that passage and I read that sin, boy, I get very self-reflective. It's almost to the point that I'm more concerned for others finding out about my sin than my God who already knows the sins that I've committed. Have you been there? I sometimes am more worried about you finding out what I've done wrong than I am the fact that God already knows it, but I kind of pay an indifference. That's a heart problem that I have to address. He says, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us or besets us. The Greek word for ensnare is used only here in the New Testament, and it conveys the idea of sin encircling someone, impeding their progress. But the definite article here is interesting, and this is what's so important. I don't think he's necessarily talking about a besetting sin as he is speaking to the Jewish believers whose sin was unbelief. They lacked faith. It's the sin that he's referring to. It's a sin of unbelief that can easily ensnare us, entangle us, because unbelief can become an unbearable weight on our hearts. And then that fosters fear, and it also chokes out our faith. When trusting God begins to falter, it's unbelief that hampers our progress. When seeds of doubts are allowed to take root and flourish, it renders us impotent in our Christian walk, and oftentimes it taints our testimony. Entanglements, think enslaved, trapped in a hole or a bear trap. Sin is sneaky. It's easy to begin tolerating it. Sin can stop the race. But again, in this passage, the sin that so, easy, it so easily entangles us, again, is the, that of lack of faith, unbelief. And we have to lay that aside, like any sin, by acknowledging it, repenting, 
and then forsaking it. Even in Hebrews 11, the author wrote, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is the, what the ancients were commended for, verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. You see, if you don't have faith, then you're in a state of unbelief. And I really believe that all sins are spurred by unbelief, if you think about it. I can think of a couple instances, and I'll start in the Garden of Eden. When Eve was tempted by the devil, what happened? Unbelief. She didn't trust God. She doubted God. She sinned. And then who followed her? Adam. He had unbelief. He didn't trust God. He followed her, and they both fell into sin. I even think you might say that even Lucifer had the same problem. And I'm always amazed that the two created beings that God put forth in this world, angelic hosts and humans, both fell. Not all the angels, a third of them fell. But all humans had been tainted because of Adam and Eve's sin. Choices they made were, again, prideful. But even the devil knew what God's truth was, but he still, in those five I wills in his Isaiah, wanted to take the throne. His unbelief was, no, I don't recognize you as God. I want this instead. So not only are we to, to throw off the, the sin that so easily entangles us and throw off everything that hinders us, but we are to run with endurance. Run with endurance the race that set us before us. Remember, again, as we said, the race is not a sprint. It's a marathon, and boy, this requires endurance to finish. A matter of fact, I look back at my, when I played sports in college and high school, I would have loved to have played football just in a chair, but unfortunately you couldn't do that. We had to run, but we didn't have to run long distances. I mean, offensive linemen and, and, and defensive tackles and linebackers and stuff, well, we had a little distance to go. But for the most part, when I watch, again, sprinters run and runners work out or long-distance people, my, my body's not built for it. My mind definitely acquiesces very quickly, but I'm very respectful of what they went through. <clears throat> but each of the saints in Hebrews 11 faced many challenges, trials, and temptations. Sometimes they stumbled along the way, but they got back up, and they finally finished the race. The word perseverance or run with endurance is hupomeno, and it literally means to remain up under, to endure or sustain a load of miseries, adversities, persecutions, and provocations. Oh, my gosh, this is tough. I can't go to the local Walmart and get a gallon of hupomeno. It just isn't available to us right now. I'd like to get a couple of gallons. I might need more than that as I end today. But we are to run the race that God sets before us. God has put us in a lane, and think about that. Once you're saved, God literally puts you in a lane. So whether you acknowledge it or not, you're in a race. And I know one thing, if you're in a race, there's a lot of people there, I don't want to get trampled, especially because of my lack of decision-making. But you have been placed in a race that once you have been saved, God places you in that for that future glory that's going to be ours as a result of what Christ has done. We are to run the race that God sets before us. He's put us in our lane, and it's no ordinary race. The Greek word for race, which is interesting, is agon. And if you kind of play with it, we get the word agony. Do you get what I'm meaning? I love that in Greek because they are so descriptive of explaining what's about to happen for us. It doesn't mean that we can't have meaning and worth and value in what happens, but there is going to be agony in that process. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not just going to be a wonderful stroll down a lane. This is going to be something that we have to be very, again, forceful and direct in with what we do. In the faith race, we are straining every nerve to the utmost toward the goal. 
And to bear up under that pressure, it's persistence, it's determination that we have to have spiritually. It's interesting that in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 32 through 36, Paul shared this, or the, the writer shared this. Some think it's Paul, others think it might be Luke or a number of other people. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured great conflict. It's coming by, of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have a race. We're on a track. We've been placed there. And we need to have endurance to accomplish that. I mean, I think of Paul when he said in 1 Timothy 6.12, I have fought the good fight of faith. I take hold of eternal life to which we were called when we were made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And Paul again said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's really kind of our motto that we want to go forward with. And this is a courageous endurance that holds out. It's a brave resistance in times of trials. And during these trials, we want out. We want to quit. We want to give up. We want to run away. We want to retreat in fear. But the scriptures teach us in this idea of perseverance, it says, don't run away. Stand fast. Stand firm. Hupomone, the perseverance comes from God through faith. So again, not only do we want to throw off the sin that entangles us and the weights that encumber us, we want to run with endurance, but we want to run fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I love this particular section. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher. This verse has that answer. We should not be like Peter who took his eyes off Christ when he was walking down the water. Remember Peter in the water? He saw the waves crashing. He asked the Lord to bid him to come, and he starts walking down water. And then he's looking back at the guys thinking, look what I'm doing that you're not. But all of a sudden, then he started looking at the environment that he was in. And the eyes shifted. What he focused on, he, had, he was doing some great things, but then he shifted from focusing on Christ to focusing on the issues. And what happened to him? He started to drown. But I love that passage in the New Testament. It says Jesus immediately stretched out his hand. So my question to us today is where is our focus? Are we going to focus on the issues, on the trials, on the struggles that we have? Or are we going to focus on the master to be able to get through those trials and struggles that we have, knowing that that is part of the race course that we have as we go forward? The greatest encouragement to persevering faith is the supreme example of Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, the word looking means to turn one's eyes from all distractions and fix them continuously on one thing. Fix them on one thing. In context, that means fixing one's eyes on Jesus. A runner must focus on the course and the goal set before him, not his surroundings, or he'll be distracted. He'll lose his stride. He'll slacken his pace. He might even fall. But remember, fixing means to consider attentively. It literally means to stare. I know when I grew up, if I would stare at somebody or something, my mother said, what? 
quit staring. Any of you mothers or fathers tell your kids to quit staring? But the idea, that's really what he wants us to do when we have the, the race of life. We want to be staring at Christ, focusing intently on him, because that's where our eyes go. And where, what we look at is typically where our body wants to go. I remember playing football. The line that we used to use was where the head went, the body went. And, of course, when I played ball back in 1902, uh, we, we, we were able to still head slap. It was a wonderful technique. You had great control when you could do that. But we always learned that where the, where the head went, the body went. And I think it's the same idea where the eyes go, the body's going to go. Keep that in mind, again, in your spiritual reality. Where you focus is where you will end up. And so we have to make those decisions to shift the focus and make it appropriate. You see, Jesus is our focus. He's our orientation, our point of reference. And the author of Hebrews then calls believers to consider ultimate examples of perseverance, Christ himself. Runners in an athletic competition cannot be distracted by peripheral objects. As runners in the race of life, we must fix our eyes on Christ. We must run. We must look at him in faith. And he's more than our example. If you really think about it, Christ is our final destination. And we must run toward him with all of our might. And the promise is that we will be conformed to his image. And that is what sanctification is. Paul said in Philippians 3, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press on for the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. Press on, driven, as in a storm. Look forward. You know, I was trying to think of maybe an example we might use in the Old Testament of someone who didn't look forward. Remember when we had... Uh, uh, Lot and his wife were obviously trying to leave their hometown. Uh, the Lord was about to bring judgment upon it. And what did God demand or command them not to do? Not to what? Look back. And what does Lot's wife do? Look back. And what happened to Lot's wife? Yeah, a pillar of salt, which eventually crumbled. And I start thinking about that too, that, that juxtaposition of what God wants us to do as believers is, it's not look back. Even Paul says, I press on toward the goal. As a matter of fact, in that passage, he's talking about being between a straight. And it's almost like it's narrowing down, but he keeps pressing on. He keeps going. Kind of like Luke Skywalker when he's trying to go through that, the planet, you know, the little narrow things when you're riding. Why did I bring Luke Skywalker into this one? That was a strange one. So again, get your eyes back on Jesus, not on the circumstances that we're in. But then he says, run to the author. Also in the race of faith, believers' ultimate example is not the witnesses in Hebrews, but boy, they're encouragement to us. I love that I can run with them and do the things that they did, but really it's Jesus who's that author and finisher of our faith. This connotes the idea of the originator, the founder, or chief leader. Jesus is that forerunner of faith, it says in Hebrews 6.20, setting the supreme perfect example that all of us who are in Christ should follow. He's the greatest example of patient endurance under severe persecution. Having been tried illegally, crucified, Jesus is also the finisher and completer of our believer's faith. And it's through his death and resurrection, he then secured salvation for all who trust in him. And then it says, run to the finisher. Some of you feel like, hey, I'm not going to make it. I, I, I don't want to do it. Don't disqualify yourself in that race of faith. If or when you get... You fall, get back up. 
I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying with his disciples, and remember they kept falling asleep, faithful men, and identified with the sleepy heads that were in there. But Jesus was struggling through that, and again, when he was praying, he was sweating great drops of blood. But he asked the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I think about that. That's that mentality that we want to have. Nevertheless, not my will. I want to get out. I want to fall off. I don't want to run. Nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. See, be confident of this, that he who has begun that good work in you, Paul says in Philippians 1.6, will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And then finally it says, for the, for the joy who is set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. I love this because the term set out is the same term that we find in verse 1, which speaks about set out for the race for us. The joy set before him was the joy set out for him by his Father. So in the same way that we're placed in the rest, set out for a race, Christ was set for, again, completion of enduring the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. His joy was not being crucified because that was the most disgraceful and dehumanizing death known. Yet he did not allow the suffering, he did not allow the contempt or the cursing to dissuade him from God's will. He freely bore the shame and disgrace to provide salvation and pay the penalty for all of our sin. See, the joy set before him was his final victory over Satan and sin. It completed God's work of redemption. And as a result of that, again, he was sat at God's right-hand side. Jesus took his seat on the throne after the resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand and remains there, which signifies the completion of his ministry. He is seated in the position at the Father's right hand, which was a sign of triumph and also foreshadows or portends his and all believers' future and final victory. Because he completed it, we can. You see the pattern here? He's placed us in a race, but he's giving us examples that we can look at from the Old Testament and be encouraged by and those people suffered great things. Many of them didn't get to see the promise fulfilled. And I also realize all the Jewish believers that passed before Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension were in that bosom of Abraham. It wasn't realized until after Christ rose again. Now for us, it's a little different. The sacrifice has been paid. The penalty for sin has been fulfilled. And if we stay on that race and we stay on that course, Again, ultimate glory is what we're running toward. And then finally, it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't that the issue here? We grow weary. We lose heart. Thinking of Jesus is a command. It's not an option. Jesus not only endured the shame of the cross and the wrath of his father, but he also endured the opposition of sinners who cried out for his execution and for the release of a guy named Barabbas, who was a terrorist at that time. Do we feel looked down upon by unbelievers? Do we feel despised and rejected because we are Christians? The opposition we will be called upon to endure will never approximate that which our Lord Jesus endured. And to this point in the book of Hebrews, I think the message there was they had not even suffered to the point of shedding blood, as he talks about in verse 4, and he goes forward. Christ did shed blood, gave his life. 
So this should serve to encourage those who encounter persecution and rejection that we do not grow weary in our souls to the point of giving up because we have that example that we can look to. Consider him is an interesting Greek word. We get the word uh, in the Greek as analogizomai, which means analogy. Say that three times and your tongue will get twisted. But it means to reckon, to add up, to weigh Christ's sufferings against our own. Ponder this. Jesus was born in a stable to poor parents in Jerusalem uh, with him to save his life. He was reared in a deplorable city. He lost his father at an early age. He had no permanent home in his ministry. He was considered mentally unbalanced by some and even demon-possessed. He was disbelieved by his family, hated and opposed by religious leaders, forsaken by his disciples, tried illegally, scourged, and beaten before he was finally crucified. Now, I think of my struggles, but I don't know if I that checkoff list. I don't think I passed that one. Do you? That's what he did on our behalf. And that is an example for us to consider and for us to focus on. You see, looking at his suffering would make theirs seem insignificant. Thus, they should not become weary and discouraged in their souls. You know, I find in my own life personally, if I'm going through a struggle, the Lord always reminds me to look at others who might have it a little more difficult or a little bit harder. It puts context back into things, doesn't it? It doesn't mitigate the fact that I'm going through an issue. It just gives me context. And that's really what this passage is trying to do. Don't get stuck in the pattern of unbelief because that's going to open you up to a lot of issues and a lot of problems. But follow the course of faith and follow so we can get to that prize that he's promised us. The text goes on one step further in comparing the Jewish believers suffering to that of Jesus. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In verse 4, you refers to believers who had previously faced persecution in the hands of their brethren. They had suffered physically and materially, but none had endured the suffering that Jesus had, nor had anyone given their life yet for the gospel. These believers needed to ponder afresh the Messiah's suffering, and then, of course, renew their commitment to him. And that will help them to gain the strength to preserve and persevere in the race. Remember, hupomone, that Greek word, we can get it at Walmart, it's to bear up under. Jesus finishes. The death on the cross was the price paid for you and me in the race. So eyes back on the Lord off our circumstances. Remember, his joy is our joy. And he endured, so I endure. I want to close this one, if I can, and just remind you quickly that there are two commands in that passage are highlighted in green. If we look at them again, and just as we kind of conclude now, let us run with perseverance the mark the race marked out for us. That's a command. It's not an option. The way that is set up structurally in the Greek, that's the first command. The second one is think of him who endured such hostility so that we won't grow weary and quit. What a great, powerful tool. Make sure again that you run with perseverance and think on him. Think on him because your perspective changes, right? He's trying to remind us to keep our eyes fixed on him like he was when he suffered. And we know about that because we have a great cloud of witness that surrounds us. The Old Testament saints, Hebrews chapter 11, having put off every weight and the sin that entangles us. We, don't, we want to run light and we want to make sure that we don't fall into unbelief because that's going to definitely affect the outcome of our race. But it also says look to Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of faith. He established it. Follow his example. 
who endured the shame of the cross. He did that for us. So when we feel like we can't take that next step, we can. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now he's in a position of authority because he completed the task and the promises, again, that go back to the prophecies that were made back in Genesis as a result of the sin of man. What I'd like to do now, if I can, I would, um, and we'll kind of conclude. Gosh, I'm so proud of myself, guys. I'm giving you early time today. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that thumbs up. Um, I have been enamored with um, the story of Eric Little. Uh, how many of you here have seen Chariots of Fire, the movie? Okay, so you're familiar with that. Eric Little was a, uh, one of three children of uh, missionary parents to China. He was born in China. Uh, and it was interesting that when he was six years of age, the particular mission that they were in, mission group, uh, the parents had to leave the kids in England while the parents stayed for six years. So the parents and the kids were separated for six years. It's an amazing story when you think about it. But the Lord was working in, obviously, Eric's heart. And if you remember the story uh, in the particular Chariots of Fire, the idea was this was an individual that felt that he couldn't run on the Sabbath. He wasn't trying to tell anybody else what they could or couldn't do, but he just felt personally that was something that God had committed to him. He couldn't do that. Boy, he was under an awful lot of pressure and persecution for not running that race. What I want to show you is a an illust part of the movie. It's about a about two minute uh, video, but I think it illustrates what I've been trying to confess today. We're gonna go through a race, we're gonna get beat up, knocked down, but we've gotta get up and we've gotta press on toward that goal for that prize of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A year ago at this time, I had the opportunity to, to share about spiritual disciplines. And it's the spiritual disciplines of, of reading scripture, memorizing scripture, meditation, prayer, uh, also fasting, other disciplines that can help us to be prepared for this race. But I think this segment that you'll see here from Chariots of Fire best illustrates what our attitude should be in our Christian experience so that we can press on toward that goal for that prize. Let's give him a round of applause. I think Eric Little did a great job. What I love about that scene is just to kind of conclude is look what happened. He was in a race. And again, in our race, we're, we're, there's a competition, but it's not like we think of it as the world thinks of it. Ours is to complete the race that God has for us. And we're going to get knocked down like he was. Those incidents come. How many of you thought, oh, this is over with now? It ain't going to happen. And I can think of the numerous times in my own walk where I have felt knocked down like that. I just didn't want to get back up. And for a moment, you could see that he wondered, but then he did. And not only did he get back up, but he finished that race. Remember, we're not competing for God's grace, but we are completing the race that he has planned for us. My prayer for you is for 2022. I can't believe we're saying that, 2022. As a young child back in the late 50s, I thought that the, uh, 1985 was long and far. Now we're at 2022. <clears throat> but I do want to encourage you that for us in 2022 and every day going forward, run that race that God has placed you in. Keep your eyes fully fixed on him. Don't be encumbered by weight. You are doing some good things that are cool, but they may be encumbering you. And there might be some sin in your life that you have to confess, that you have to repent from and forsake. That's between you and the Lord. But ultimately, consider him, because that's what gives us that fixed picture of the goal of the prize. Amen?
Let's close in prayer. Father God, we're thankful that we have this opportunity to start off 2022 with some cold air that reminds us that, well, we're, we're past summer. But now, Father, we have an opportunity to think about the race that we're in. This is a race of faith, different than what the world brings. Some things analogous, but, Father, so different. Help us as we go through to not be entangled with any sin, with any encumbrances, to, Father, lay aside those things which burden us or cause us to stumble. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on your son and to consider him as we go through this race. I pray, Father, for those that are here today that maybe have heard about Christ but have never in a moment in time recognized the fact that they have not acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. Only those, Father, that you save will make it to the end. That's what you promise us. That's the perseverance that will be there. But for those that don't know you, Father, don't have that ultimate assurance. The assurance rests in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, you said that to many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God, even to those that call out to your name. So Father, for those that are in Christ, I pray that they review, refresh, remind themselves of the race they're in, stay focused on Christ and go forward. And for those that are here in this, in this room right now, the congregation right now, for those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer is, Father, is they will come to him and ask for forgiveness of sins and realize again that, as the Scripture teaches us, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that all those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Father, I also like the fact that for by grace we are saved through faith, and that's not even ours. It's a gift that you give us. Lord, bless this time, bless these folks. And I pray again that we run the race that you've given us, and we look forward to being with you forever in your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name.